Thank you for joining us on a Morley podcast with Tony Maine. Morley podcast is purpose built for America. Through our military veterans and military supporters, we show that the values and qualities that built this country, such as service, sacrifice, respect, and faith, are not dead. A Morley podcast builds community so individuals can improve their communities. Welcome to a Morley podcast this week. We have a very special guest, Colonel Retired Sean Daniel, joining us from Arkansas home of Darby Warrior Support, something that we'll talk about here in a moment. But Sean, you're on today for a very special reason, the commemoration of really the military's first major combat operation on October 19th, 2001, in response to 9-11. What goes through your mind as you kind of wake up today? Is it something that you remember? Is it something that you have marked on the calendar? Oh, I, I, I definitely remember it. I, I feel like I remember every painstaking detail of the of the sequence of events that led up to today, twenty years ago. Um, I, I remember the emotions I felt. I remember the emotions my family felt. Um, I remember the pride that I felt in in being asked to participate in the nation's first major operation as part of the global war on terror just what and how lucky are we to have that opportunity to be at the i don't want to say the right place the right time because we wish we never had to go but tell me in terms of a company commander and in, in, in ranger regiment that just didn't happen you have you have a family history of service could, for the viewers could you kind of go into what what kind of led you into the military and then why why this ranger thing well, I mean, my as you mentioned, my dad was a, a career uh, AGR officer, um, and and when I got to when I got to Little Rock, I moved here in, in eighth grade. I, I was fortunate to go to a high school, um, an exceptional high school, where I, I really did a lot of growing up, uh, and I was inspired by some some upperclassmen to uh, to really make the most of the experience, right? And and between my family. Uh, and and my Catholic high school and the, and the faith interwoven in that in that journey, um, I, I just decided that I wanted to go to a service academy and and went all out to get there. I, I will say I went all out except for the studying part, um, which which made me uh, take a rather unconventional route to to West Point. Um, but but we got there, and uh, eventually, two years behind my high school peers, threw our hat up in the air and and moved out into the army to 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 live this army life. So West Point, beautiful. If anyone's ever been up there, uh, I really don't listen to too many people who talk about West Point who haven't been there. Because until you've been there, you will be mesmerized. It's you know. Uh, the palace on on the Hudson. You could also think of it as a fortress on the Hudson, depending on 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 your status. But 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 tell me, you really did get get the most out of your experience there. And you said the academics were not the easiest for you there. But you leave as as the first captain. What what got you, what was about what was it about West Point that just so resounded with you? Was did it go back to Little Rock and and, and then your father and 
just you wanted to be the best you could be if you were going to do something? Where was that instilled? I mean, it was it was it was a journey in a number of different ways. I mean, if I was going to do it, I wanted to to to, to do it a hundred percent and then some, right? Um, but I, I enlisted in the guard and applied through my guard unit to the West Point Prep School. Uh, I went to the prep school, uh, and not to air all my dirty laundry here, but um, my now brother-in-law and I had made a fake ID. Uh, to get in bars and whatnot. And I, I made a strategic error in taking that fake ID with me to the prep school. Uh, well, after Christmas, a lot of people have self-selected, uh, but there are remaining few who have not self-selected that need to self-select to, to go do something other than West Point. And so I brought this young man in for an aptitude board, and he goes, you're right, I'm not a model cadet, but Sean Daniel has a fake ID. What are you going to do about that? Um, nice. So, yeah, cool. it was great. The Thanks. honor code. Just yeah. stay, that's great. What, what a Thanks. great example of living up to the honor code. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, buddy. Um, so about two and a half weeks later, I was thrown out and uh, went to basic training in AIT and got an opportunity through the guard to go to ranger school right after AIT. I went, I graduated, um, uh, and then started classes at the University of Louisville the next day. So. Uh, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I, I need to at least, my thought process was I need to at least apply to West Point and try to get back in, right? Um, or try to get in, not back in, but get in. And my TAC officers at the prep school had, had said they would help me in any way they could. And they did. And I, and I got an appointment and I just said, hey, this is a journey that I've started uh, and, and I need to finish it. Um, so off to West Point I went. And, and I mean, it, it was just, it was a great environment for me. Uh, yeah, I was a ranger qualified plebe at West Point, and that brought up some attention that I didn't necessarily always want. Um, but, but it was, it was a good structured environment for me. It was, uh, it was a great education overall. Uh, made a lot of friends and, and really just said, this is, this is what I want to do for the foreseeable future. And, uh, and 1993 started that journey, and what a heck of a ride it was, right? It, of course. Now, but tell me about Ranger Regiment then. As When is that coming into your thought process? Obviously, wanting to go to, to Ranger School, I assume that you're wanting to commission in the infantry. And so you're looking for what, what are my next challenges? What are my next um, opportunities? Always want to do well where you're at, of course. Right, number sure, one, you know where sure, you're at, yeah. and serve those soldiers. But you right. are looking for opportunities to maybe do something, maybe a little further, faster, fight a little it, harder. It, it's love the one you're with for sure, um, but it's also, you know, I mean, I went to West Point, and, I, and because I wanted to be what I saw as the best, and and I wanted to go to the Ranger Regiment for many of the same reasons. Uh, the environment that I was in as a lieutenant. Uh, didn't lend itself to service in the Ranger Regiment. Um, but uh, I, I figured, okay, I, I can do this as a captain. And I, I structured a tour to Korea so that I could get command and, and be eligible as quickly as possible. Got married right before I left for Korea. And uh, and honestly, I had a lot of people say, hmm, Ranger Regiment's risky, Sean. Um you know, you go there and you fail and, and you're potentially done. And I, I just said, that. well, hey, I mean, I, I, I want to compete with the best. And, and 
they're the best in my mind, and this is what I want to do. I appreciate your counsel, sir, but I'm I'm headed to Third Ranger Battalion. Uh, then Lieutenant Colonel Dan Allen was the commander of the battalion, Third Battalion, and and he hired me, and um, I was really excited. Came back from Korea, went to uh, I guess what they're calling RASP two now, and uh, our our first child was born. And off to the S three shop, I I was sent to row and row well. Well, and what a great place to have a child too in the operations shop of Ranger Regiment, where as General Votel would say, the best thing to hold over a captain's head is a Ranger Rifle Company command. Of course, that that men will work really really hard um, to earn their way out of uh, a Ranger Battalion S three shop. That's that's for sure. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, there were some great, great guys in there in the three shop with us. Um, you know, Chris Stone, Brian Eifler, um, Rob Ryan, and, and a great friend of mine, uh, Dennis Smith, was in there. John Brady, Dave Doyle. I mean, those guys, some of those guys continuing to serve and serve with distinction today. So what is it like when you find out that you're going to get, you'll get a company? It was it was earlier than I anticipated, um, uh, because some guys popped early on the promotion list ahead of me in the queue. Um, so I, I was expecting to wait at least another year, and then and then got thrown into command. And I, I'll tell you, I, I was elated uh, with the by the opportunity, um, but I but I vividly remember and often reference uh, my pre-company command counseling. With uh, with then Major Lee Rudisil, uh, he he told me some things that that I remember to this day and and try to implement uh, in my personal life today. And um, a really funny story, maybe for another day. But it, those were some formative days in my life uh, leading up to taking command of Charlie Company. And so, how long was that time period from taking the command, Sean, to nine eleven? So I, I took command in March of uh, 2001, and shortly after command, um, Colonel Ralph Puckett walked in my office and said, Sean, do you ever think you're going to go to war? And uh, at the time, I, I, I thought our country didn't have the stomach for it for a number of reasons, but I assured him that I was going to train the company every day like we were leaving tomorrow. Uh, and we had a good conversation, and he and he walked out of the office that day in March 2001. You know, six months later, I'm standing in my what was our playroom because uh, we had a 21 month old daughter um, shaving my head, getting ready to go out on uh, a, a great training event. I'm sure you remember it. We did like six different live fires in seven days, uh, or at least that was the plan. And my mother-in-law called and said, you know, hey, y'all need to turn on the TV. And so we did, just in time to see the second plane uh, impact the towers. And my wife looked at me and said, well, what does this do to your chances of deploying? I'm like, well, <laughs> it just got exponentially greater, that's for sure. So, I mean, that, that, was, that was it. At that same time, I was unfortunately at PLDC now named the Warriors Leader Course, receiving a course on um, level two maintenance. And, and we were told that 
although it's important what's happening in New York City, that this class would stay for us the rest of our lives. And so it took until that that lunch break period for us all to make the classic mistake of, of course, getting on then the pay phones, like drop a quarter in pay phones. Like, do you need us back yet? Because, of course, America's response couldn't couldn't happen without five or six corporals that were currently in, 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 in PLDC. So Absolutely. take me, so so take me through now. Now you you learn you learn that there will be an operation. There will be a response. Um, Third Ranger Battalion is going to be a part of that that response. What what is that day in and day out routine for you from the time um, that that you start you start the initial planning process and the meetings to actually getting on the ground and you're in the forward staging base. So, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was quite the sequence of events to be honest with you. Cause we, we went out in the field 48 hours late, uh, as, as planned and did, did what we did. I mean, I, we got out there and trained hard and, um, I mean, we were, we were still sharpening the spear, so to speak. Right. Uh, and, and I, Colonel Bannock kept coming out and checking on training. I'm like, hey, sir, is everything cool? And he's like, yeah, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, we were supposed to do a 25-mile road march back in. And I'm like, sir, you know, we're, we're still planning on doing this. He goes, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. And um, so the 19th of September, and I'll tell you in a minute why I remember these dates, um, he, he calls me and says, hey, why, why don't you just load the buses and come on back in? I'm like, okay, everything." Everything's still good, sir. We going anywhere? It's like no, no, you're you're fine, man. And so, you know, I was the most popular because guy. Things in Ranger Regiment happen for no reason. Like, yeah, that's why we do things for no reason. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, you know, I was the most popular guy, and and Charlie caught me that night when I told the boys we're riding buses home, not doing a twenty five miler, and uh, and so we get home and or get back to company, and we start doing what Ranger companies do: cleaning equipment, putting it away, accountability. I call the boss again. I'm like, hey, sir, I got the boys scheduled for a four-day weekend. You, you, you still good with this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. Send them. I'm like, Whew. okay, all right. So we got everything accounted for, went out there, gave a safety brief, told everybody to stay close to their phones, reminded them of the, you know, the RF1 requirements and uh, reminded them, you know, of some other constraints with our with our lifestyle at the time. And uh and, and turn them loose. And so I was sitting around the office. I mean, it was five thirty, six o'clock, sitting around the office because my wife was going to an FRG meeting. And uh, and she was bringing our daughter, who loved to dry, draw, sorry, uh, generally on my dry erase board in the office. I say generally because most of the time she couldn't stay on the dry erase board. But she's 21 months old, and it wipes off pretty easy. So I was excited about spending time with our daughter. And then about 1830, uh, the red phone rings. Like, hey, Sean, come up here to the regimental plex. And so I jump in my truck and drive up the regiment and walk in. There's all kinds of activity throughout the plex. And the, the battalion S3 says, hey, you're uh, you're going to Uzbekistan. You're going to set up a staging base. And, and uh, the rest of the battalion is going to flow in in the next two or three weeks. And then we're going to start doing these air assault missions in the northern Afghanistan. And I'm like, oh, okay, wow. He's like, let me let me go check the schedule and see when you're when you're leaving. And so he walks away, and Jimmy Wanovich is sitting there, uh, old battalion fire support officer. He goes, Sean, you got any questions? I'm like, man, 
I got a lot of questions. So let's, start with, <laughs> let's start with just a really basic one. Could you could you maybe pull up a map of the world and point to Uzbekistan? Because I have no idea where I'm going. Um, so we did, and and we left at zero three that morning. And and what I remember, you know, about those emotions initially is I scurried back down to battalion headquarters or company headquarters and pulled in my parking space and my wife jumped pulled in right beside me uh and jumps out of the car and katie grace is all excited to see her daddy and and uh look at dan and say i'm, I'm leaving and at first she thought we were we we're having to go back out in the field and look for a lost sensitive item and i said no honey listen to me i'm i'm leaving um and her whole disposition changed and she, you know as you remember we always had cover stories Back then, and she's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Fort Bragg, North Carolina to provide added force protection to USASOC headquarters. She's like, where are you going? I, I repeated it. She's like, no, you're not. I said, well, you, you might be right. Um, say, how long are you going to be gone? I'm like, I don't know. How long are you going to touch me? I don't know. Um, and just like that, it was kiss her and my daughter and went to company headquarters and left early, squirrely the next morning. Um, we ended up coming back because we were reminded once again that the diplomatic channels don't work quite as fast as 3rd Ranger Battalion works when it comes to deploying. And, uh, and as you, as you probably remember, I mean, we did a lot of planning and, uh, and a lot of rehearsing and a lot more rehearsing and double checking equipment. And it was our first exposure to the rapid fielding initiative, um, as we started to get a whole bunch of new equipment and, and some old equipment uh, that was that was reissued, particularly in the munitions category, um, and and we just sat and waited, waited for the for the planes and and right illumination cycle to to come around, and then and then deployed, and uh, and waited for maybe ten days once we got to Masira Island, and uh, I mean just just a flood of emotions. You know, to from the unknown of of the Afghans' uh, maintenance slash retention of those surface to air missiles that they used during the Soviet War, uh, to the the pride you felt being part of uh, America's first response to to the attacks of nine eleven, to worried about the boys and something happened to them, and that was confident, hundred percent confident. You get us on the ground, we're gonna we're gonna whip anybody that, that challenges us. That that was not the concern at all. It was just, you know, wow, this this is really happening, and we're down to you know nine days, so eight days, seven days, and the anxiety anxiety builds and the pride builds and swells and like I, I I'm I'm honored just to be on this team, just to be on this team. Sean, when you heard that it, you know, as the as the mission changed potentially from where the operations were staging out of what kind of operations they would be to a parachute assault, I've got for an airborne ranger that had to be like holy cow, like this is this this is the dream type of type of scenario slash operation, and and, and you're going to be, I mean, you can say you're going to lead it, um, or you can say like you're going to be responsible. Yeah, I, I mean that that yes, you're 100% right. 100% right. I mean, we we are doing 
you know, a combat jump into southern Afghanistan. I mean, there's there's no ranger company commander in the regiment, current, past, future, that wouldn't trade places with me right now. Uh, and but I was looking more at it as, man, we're we're leading this thing off. We're the first ones in the batter's box. That's that's where the pride swelled for me, uh, just to be just to be part of the team. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't mesmerized or enamored with the jump or with being a company commander. I was just proud to be on the team, uh, and proud to, to walk as a man among giants. Um, there we go. That's it. That's it. Um, and, and plant a flag in Afghan soil and say, we're here to kick your behind for what you did on nine 11. So. Um, that, that was really it for me. Um, just, just proud, proud to be on the team. Holy cow. And, and there were plenty, I was hearing through different channels, you know, belly aching, oh, we're going to miss out from other people. I'm like, man, I, I don't think anybody's going to miss out. I think there's going to be plenty of work to do for everybody. Um, I, I think there's going to be plenty of work to do for folks who aren't even born yet. Um, or who who are in you know kindergarten or first grade, and sure enough, twenty years. Who would have ever thought we'd be banging around in that country for twenty years? Exactly. That that. I definitely did not. Um, one of the reasons I eventually didn't go the officer route is just you know you you know trying to, too smart for your own good. Yeah. <laughs> democracies in the middle east you know like you know i'm a christian so i got this biblical base too like this really doesn't work but it's not about that it's about obviously and you know keeping terrorists at bay from from the united states but i looked at these other things and so i was way off on my uh on my diplomatic uh, calculus as as well yeah. talk yeah. me through the and it you know what were the feelings and and uh, we train so hard that it becomes like science, even in combat. Did you feel like that just that all that planning and prep on the ground, you had a grasp where everybody was, was at, did your teams perform well? Um, were you, any concerns or outliers, any Murphy, uh, Murphy's law that popped up during the actual operation? Uh, you know, M Murphy always gets a vote, uh, always gets a vote and more often than not exercises that vote. And, and 19 October was no different. Um, but, you know, I refer back to the, I think it's the UConn females basketball coach. Um, Gino Ariema? Yeah, who, who said, good, good pull. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have pulled the first or last name, but nice, nice work there, Tony. Who um, goes, I, I, I don't want you to practice until you get it right. I want you to practice until you can't get it wrong. And I felt like, really, that's where we were. Um, I mean, just call the audible. We knew all the audibles, uh, and as things went wrong, I mean, they're just like, okay, here's the audible and, and everybody executed. There were some surprises on the target. I mean, it, the, the, the construction was, um, more significant, I should say, or I could say than, than maybe what we anticipated. I mean, those, those doors on that compound were, uh, like, government steel doors and i don't <laughs> think we were really anticipating that i mean I, I i remember watching in the darkness like Neto 
I think Sergeant Legnero at the time, go running up to the first door, put his 12 and a half regular right beside the the, yeah. the door handle and just bounced. I mean, <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, he was bouncing back, yeah. Yeah, he just he bounced. <laughs> Um, and so all the door charges and whatnot that we brought were used and, and hooligan tools. I mean, every, every possible form of breaching was exercised on that target. But I mean, the Rangers, the Rangers did what they do and, uh, it was amazing. Surprises. Yes. Um, anything we couldn't handle? No, not at all. And, and it's a tribute to the to the professionalism of the young rangers and the non-commissioned officers and, and, you know, the platoon leaders out there just reacting to whatever the situation presented. Talk me through then the exfil. Is there a time, when, when do you finally, you never get to wind down as a, as a ranger officer or NCO regardless, but in terms of like, were you, when you, when you finally load the aircraft, you got accountability of everybody all all tails are up. Like, w- were you able to? Um, I you already know you you understand the significance. That that's a that that's a given. But were you able just to breathe at some point, or did you have to wait till after the debrief to be able to breathe? Or were you on a headset just going, going, going constantly? No, I mean, I I was able to breathe a little bit um, after about twenty eight minutes from wheels up. Cause I knew we had about 28 minutes of flight time in Afghan airspace. And again, we didn't know, you know, the stingers still out there. Were they not? Um, I mean, everybody knew we were there at this point and, you know, I, I all the confidence in the world in our air crews. Um, but still, you know, Murphy's alive and well. And so I, I was just kind of watching the clock saying, okay, we got about 28 minutes. And then in about 35 minutes, I'm like, okay, uh, I, I'm pretty confident we're over Pakistan and now we're just got a three and a half hour flight home. Uh, at, at that point I, I sat down. So we infilled on four aircraft, exfilled on three. So it was a little, a little more crowded, um, <laughs> on, on the way home. And I had an extremely hard landing, um, on the jump. And honestly, I thought, okay, I've just broken my femur. Uh, it was so dark, and I remember somebody else referencing this uh, probably on social media. It was so unbelievably dark. I mean, you come out and you're under canopy. You're making sure you got a good canopy, and you're you're looking around for any landmarks, so you know generally what direction to run to your assembly area. I I couldn't find the FLS. I, I could see the target burning, but I didn't know if I was on you know the north side or the south side. Um, and so as I was rubbernecking, trying to get my bearings, I, I hit the ground and I don't know what I landed on, but it was, it was harder than I was and had to lay there and get, get my marbles together for just a second. And, and then it was off to the races. But once we got on that plane and got into 35 minutes and I, and I sat down I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, there's that, there's that leg again and sat down for, I don't know, three and a half hours. And when, when I went to get back up, it was, it was uncomfortable, but I'm like, man, we, we did it. We, we did it. No, there wasn't, um, you weren't, you weren't letting off the gas at that point. I mean, I came back and immediately went to the hospital to check on Mark Messerschmidt who shattered his ankle on the jump. Um, and then we went back compiling all the, all the pictures and the diagrams of, of the compound that we, 
eventually passed off to the Marine Corps so they could go in and establish Camp Rhino uh, and operate out of there for years. So, and then, I mean, you're done with that. Now, okay, what's the next mission? And you're just, you're just waiting for the, the next task. Like, I'm, I'm over here. Let's, let's get after it. No idea when we're going home. Uh, no idea when the next mission's coming. You know, we're still refining our target development process as an organization at that point. We didn't have the resources that we have today or the technology that we have today. Um, so it was a little bit slower, but we were, we stayed busy. Stayed busy. You know, okay, no mission right now. Get out to the range. Do maintenance on your weapons. Uh, do PT. Be ready to go when, you know, when the next mission rolls down. Now, leaders did a great job of, of refocusing, which I think is can be difficult to do when it's the first time that the, the regiment has really had a, a combat operation since Gothic Serpent. You know, like, I mean, that that's the, the, the professionalism. It, it was great to have Rob Phipps in the company. Of course. Yes. I mean, if you don't love Rob Phipps, you're a bad American for any, anybody listening, look him up. Um, but what a calming presence he kind of was too. Cause I, you talk about a company man per se. And just, yeah. I really felt like the NCOs and, and the officer corps, it felt from my level as a junior sergeant, just very much in tune with the what's next, do maintenance, keep routine. Um, we were literally upset. We couldn't take the, the, the two, the two pints from the Brits that they offered. That was disappointing. Um, and, and received plenty of chatter. Um, but, but other than that, uh, what, what a great experience. I do want to just for the, for the audience, um, there, there were two Rangers that, that did lose their lives, um, yeah. that night as a QRF force, uh, PFC, Christopher Stonecipher and specialist Johnny Edmonds. So it, it, it did not come without a loss. And that was one of my big eye openers too. I felt like, okay, we did what we were supposed to do, but it, it introduced me personally. I don't know if you felt this, Sean, but. This is war, though. And that lesson from that, that it's never going to be easy to take a life, and maybe it, it, it shouldn't be. Kind of, kind of, that's something that's resounded with me kind of through the years, through that, through that operation. Absolutely. I mean, uh, if, if you pull the veil back on this whole operation, Tony, the, the number of moving parts and pieces that we had was nothing short of amazing. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, Murphy gets a, Murphy gets a vote number one and, and number two, that can, that can cost lives. Um, and, and oh, by the way, we're on the ground, as you said, to, to take lives. And, um, you know, Rob Phipps and maybe one other person in the company had combat experience at that point. And I mean, me personally, I looked to Chuck Ferry uh, as kind of the litmus test. He he, he fought with Tenth Mountain in in the streets of Somalia um, with Task Force Ranger. And I'm like, hey, if Chuck says we can do this, giddy up, let's go. Um, and you know, I mean, he he was the example for me. I, but who else has been to combat at that point, right? Oh, exactly. It was a very it was a very small list. Very small list. And it's so, amazing how things change so so rapidly, too. Outside of the Ranger Regiment, we went from going to a military post, and everybody was starting to look like Mexican generals there for a little while. Yeah. And, and now you're seeing sergeants, sergeants first class, who are doing all the right things. But the CIBs are kind of gone. The deployment patches are 
are disappearing and you know the, the army will go rolling along whether or not there's a conflict or not but i want to change yeah. gears i want to talk about how you're rolling along right and what in our age we tend to roll maybe a little bit more um so darby warrior darby's warrior support um tell me about how your family really became involved with this and the people, I think the people here are so key. You've already brought up some names and how you have more than just yourself and your family continuing to serve. Sure. So um, let, let me back up a little bit. When I first got to third Ranger battalion, I'm, I'm an avid duck hunter. And, uh, and, and I love going around the beaver ponds on Fort Benning and, and chasing wood ducks. I mean, for me, it was perfect. I could go out and kill a limit of wood ducks, be home by 730. Uh, Katie Grace wasn't out of bed yet. Jake wasn't born yet. Um, I was cooking scrambled eggs for her before, I mean, before she rolled out of bed. So it, it was easy in terms of, you know, the battle for the great kitchen pass that all of, all those rangers um, fight weekend to weekend when there's something outside of family that we, we may want to do. Um, so, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So, I, I invited yeah, big head will do it to you. Big head yeah. will do that to you, won't it? <laughs> so, so uh, there were some guys in the three shop that that I started hunting with: Dennis Smith, John Brady, um, and and Russ Cotwall. And you know, pause. Russ Cotwall delivered both of our kids. Um, so there's a there's a great bond with him outside of of just rangering. And and uh, and so the whole time we're shooting wood ducks on Fort Benning, I'm like, man, we, we have to go to Arkansas sometime. They do this right in Arkansas and, and you guys really need to experience it. Um, so after our first deployment, we got home late December, early January. I'm like, Hey, Martin Luther King weekend. Let's go. Let's go. Let's load up cannonball run, drive all night, hunt for four days, drive all night back, uh, going to the three shop, fresh, ready to go Tuesday morning. Right. And, and so we did. And, uh, and we killed 17 ducks. I'm like, man, that, that was, terrible um and and everybody else is like oh my god that was awesome uh i'm like okay well we're gonna do it again next year um and because it was terrible and i need to get, show you guys what a real arkansas hunt looks like and so we continue to do this year after year and and all of us got reassigned to other duty stations after a little while not dennis or, or john but russ and and art and i Art Kandarian, and uh, I don't know. After doing it five or six years, I just kind of paused and looked around, and I mean, we were killing a whole mess of ducks at this point. Uh, but I'm like, you know, this is this is so not about how many ducks can we kill in a weekend. This is about looking, you know, men in the eyes, away from the flagpole that I've shared some hard days with, and just making sure that they're okay. Um, cause you're around Fort Benning and, you know, you're a barrel chested freedom fighter. You got to act like it emotions. Nope. Can't have that. Um, got to get ready for the next deployment and go. And you get away from the flagpole and, and it's different. You sit there in that duck blind and you watch the sun come up in the morning and, it, and it's different. And my, my parents felt it. I felt it. Uh, the guys that I shared those weekends felt it, shared those weekends with felt it. And we just decided, Hey, we, we need to start sharing this with other people um and so my parents had 
you know, pause. My parents in the seventies had started a nonprofit organization to provide housing for the low income families of Louisville, Kentucky. And that organization sold the property and they were looking to, you know, remission it uh, and got permission through HUD and all the other approving officials and, and remissioned it to, to Darby's warrior support. And why Darby's? Because William O. Darby is a native of Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we felt it appropriate that if, if we're going to start an organization that was effectively founded by Rangers, that his name ought to be in there somewhere. So we reached out to the family and, and, and they were honored to, to have us use the name. And, uh, today we're serving 150 to 200 members of the special operations community. You know, there's a lot coming from the Ranger Regiment, um, third group, seventh group, 160th, fifth group, uh, some SEALs down in Mississippi. And, and actually this year we've got some guys coming in, SEAL team from the West Coast coming in and, uh, some 275 Rangers coming in. So, you know, why soft community? Well, that's, that's where we came from. Um, and in our assessment, those are the men and women who have done a lot of the heavy lifting over the course of this, this war. And it gave us a place to focus. Um, and, and it's a population that we're all passionate about. So Dennis Smith is our vice president. Uh, I am on now full time as the executive director. And man, I wake up every morning looking forward to going to work. And I can't wait for the season to open Halloween weekend. So tell me then, you know, a hunt anywhere from three to four days once folks come in. And then what do you, what do you see? I can under, I think most of us understand the hunting, the building camaraderie with, within teams, even amongst new, new friends. Um, what, what are you seeing after? Are, are, do, do folks stay in contact after? Or are you starting to see a little bit positive, uh, maybe positive change, the, the release that they actually have while they're with you? Uh, there, there's, uh, there's a feedback comes in a lot of different forms. So our general model is, uh, our guests arrive on Friday, uh, target time is 16 to 1800 so that we can get equipment issued and, and eat chow. Right. Um, and then they hunt Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday morning and we have them back on the road between noon and, and two so that they can make it home before midnight. Uh, we provide all the equipment, uh, waiters, guns, jackets, hats, gloves, ammo, great lodging. They'll eat like a king uh, while they're here. Uh, need more PT by the time they get home to work some it off because it's all good Southern cooking. Um, and, and I mean, the, the construct is really around the four-day weekend, so nobody has to burn any leave. Could we could we do something outside of the four-day weekend? We, we could. Um, but when you start trying to manage pressure on hunting properties um, it, and, and you can get away with only hunting it one, maybe two times uh, a weekend, then that keeps the, the birds, I say birds, we do deer hunting, duck hunting, goose hunting, turkey hunting, trout fishing. We do a lot of different stuff now, but this started around duck hunting. And uh, the only expense to the, to our guests is a, the cost of a, of a license. We reimburse ground travel. We can't underwrite airfare yet. Uh, if folks want to pay their own way on, on a flight, then by all means, they're welcome. Um, I, I hope to get to where we can underwrite airfare eventually, but we're just, we're just not there yet. Um, 
and so I mean the the feedback has been has been amazing. Um, I think I and Nick Newer uh, retired Ranger uh, out of one seven five, medically retired, uh, who's our operations manager. I think we have a unique perspective. I mean, all these guys are different points in their journey in uniform. Um, some are, are starting to, to struggle with the impact this life has on their family. Some are struggling with friends they lost or, or lives they took or experiences they had. Some are, are staring transition in the face. And I, I believe Nick and I have negotiated all of those and can provide some, some, uh, some great counsel on on how we managed it or just insight on how we manage it some want to open up while they're here some just want to enjoy the hunting and, and honestly i'm i'm fine with whatever folks want to do uh, but you, you really see them let their guard down while they're here and man it's 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 awesome and just to listen to them in the darkness waiting for the sun to rise waiting for legal shooting time chatter and talking um, you know, they walk in when they get there and they're like, whew, wow. You know, I was thinking a double wide trailer and fart sacks and cooking beanie weenies on a cook stove, but this, <laughs> this place is really nice. Um, and I'm like, yeah, it, it is. And it's, it's yours and it's only yours. You're the only ones that can use it. Uh, and so they, they come in kind of hesitant, kind of wondering, you know, what, what is this all about? And they leave Monday morning and it's a big hug and, and big thank yous. And, and I think, Worst case scenario, they go back home just refreshed. A little time away from the flagpole. A little time with some dear, dear friends. Um, and I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to get back after it. Um, so, you know, you're able to, to keep your team. You're building the team. You're staying in community. How can somebody come into DWS, like in terms of community? Maybe not to hunt. We understand the, the profile that that's kind of for, but... Um, I, I would figure that much land, there must be some needs that y'all have that are kind of, you know, fairly routine to keep DWS going. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we need, uh, like any other organization, we need, uh, just cash donations. We need labor. We need in-kind donations. Uh, we got Tyson chicken donating like 150, 200 pounds of chicken this year, uh, which defrays our grocery bill. Um, I'm looking for a pork farmer out there to, to donate, you know, a hundred pounds of bacon. Cause, oh my gosh, these guys go through some bacon in a, in a 90 day, uh, season. Um, I mean, we're ammunition, guns, uh, clothing items, uh, anything that you can imagine that you would use or consume as part of a hunt weekend. I mean, gas cards, what I'd give for a TMP gas card. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ethically and morally <laughs> and legally, of course. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, really, it's, it's, an, expensive, it's an expensive operation. Uh, we've got about 4,000 acres that we have uh, access to, some of it exclusive access to. And, and just like Afghanistan, you know, it's geographically separated. It's the tyranny of distance. And so if you were to drive around our triangle of, of hunting properties, it's each leg is an hour. Um, so, you know, wear and tear on vehicles, wear and tear on, on the people driving the gas consumption, 
the grocery bill, the ammunition bill. What I found is rangers may be shy to do some things. Uh, pull the trigger when a group of ducks comes in is not one of them. Uh, and and they do that well, and I, and I love watching it. But we go through, you know, 15, 20 cases of ammo in a year, um, and, and those things are ex- expensive. It's all part of the process, and it's all part of the experience, and, and I love every bit of it because it's as therapeutic for me as it is for for those people that we're hosting. I think. Um, well, over a hundred and fifty, or roughly a hundred and fifty special operators. What a that's a huge size to give back. That's a that's a company, a company plus of impact and influence that can take this story back, not only about DWS, and this is one thing that we're seeing, Sean, and, and why we wanted to talk about DWS at the end for, for the listeners is that we generally are introverted. We're, we, 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 we might like to hunt, but we like to do it by ourselves. When a ranger goes into one of these programs, they're generally going to tell someone. And if someone doesn't participate in DWS, but they might go and look, you might start building community. There's a a lot of organizations out of there that want to help. Uh, you can't swing an organization without finding somebody that wants to help special op- special operations forces. But it's so funny that the end user doesn't know what's out there for them. Yeah, no that that that's a great point, Tony. And and I'll, I'll tell you that um, you know a lot of people ask, how does this work? Um, man, I, I I tell everybody, jump on social media, jump on our website. Uh, if you want to come hunt, uh, send us a note and we'll, we'll get you in a, we'll get you on a hunt. Um, go to our website. My email address is there. Um, send me a personal note. We'll, we'll get you on a hunt. Uh, what we rely on at this point, I mean, if we bring in groups of four at two separate locations every weekend, right? That's generally the model. Uh, we can handle five, maybe six in one of the locations, but four is the ideal number. Four fits in a blind, four fits in a side-by-side, you know, so forth and so on. Um, and then inevitably, one or two people out of that group will stay in touch with me or with Nick Newark. Um, and then come August, they're, they're hitting us on email saying, hey, when's the hunt schedule coming out? Uh, I, I know exactly who I want to bring this year because what I try to avoid is, you know, reach out to just throw an example out there. Third Ranger Battalion, right? And say, hey, I, we want a group of four guys. Okay, hey, Alpha Bravo, Charlie, and HAC, give me one guy. And you're like, no, no, that's not what we're trying to get to. We want Tony Maine and his three friends that really genuinely mean something to him uh, so that that's four that group of four can come and spend a weekend talking about you remember when and 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 just letting their guard down and being away from the flagpole and just having a great time do you have to be a hunter no no my preference honestly is people that have never hunted before because when that first group of 40 mallards you know come sailing across the decoy they empty their gun and there's not a feather much less a duck laying on the water um i mean the trash talking starts and the eyes are you know biggest saucers and you're like wow do we get to do that again i'm like oh yeah we get we get to do that many more times over the course of the morning i I would i would prefer that you start knocking some ducks down otherwise i'm gonna have to shoot everybody's limit over here on the end of the blind 
Um, but it, it's just amazing to watch. And, you know, we're fortunate, too, to have a, a community here in Arkansas that, man, they, they love these guys. And we're talking exclusive duck clubs, hunting clubs, not just duck, but hunting clubs in the state of Arkansas. We're hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to join. And they, and they'll bring the boys in on Friday night and send them back to us Sunday morning after breakfast because they all have to go back to work on Monday. Um, and they're amazed at the quality of men and women that are fighting our nation's wars out there. And it's, it's, that the, the hosts, and we don't do a lot of hosts, but we, we do a handful over the course of the season. There is as enamored with the experiences as most of our guests are. So, I mean, I, I got it. A lot of people don't hunt. Some people don't hunt. Um, come have a weekend, a meaningful weekend with your friends uh, in the great state of Arkansas and, and experience uh, what we have to offer. Because I promise it can tell everybody we're, we're changing lives and saving, and saving some. And I, I firmly believe that. We, we definitely look forward to seeing you coming up this January, Sean. I want to thank you for taking the time today. We did a pretty broad scope from when you were first born to right now. Uh, but seriously, well, thank you for being on today. Um, I don't know how to say this correctly. Thank you for being my company commander. Everything that I did as a company commander, no disrespect to the other leaders, but you were the model. You're also the reason I was, I, I kind of had a little trepidation about coming back to Ranger Regiment as an officer too, because there were some PLs. The lack of preparation would be noticed, acknowledged, and corrected rather swiftly. Um, but accountability, I think, is really the hallmark of what makes the Ranger Regiment what it was and, and why we generally find uh, success and accomplish our mission on the battlefield. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Tony, I mean, I uh, tell everybody I was fortunate to walk as a man among giants uh, in the Ranger Regiment and elsewhere. And, and uh, man, I'm proud to serve, proud to have served with you, proud to continue to serve the, the Ranger community with you, proud of all you're doing there and, and uh, look forward to having you here in, in January, man. All right, Sean. Thank you once again for everyone listening. We'll have another podcast coming up early this Thursday with Beth Morgan from Columbia's Center for Veteran Transition and Integration, talking about an upcoming online job fair with over 80 schools that will be participating to ensure that our service members have access to the best quality education. If you want to contact Darby's Warrior Support, once again, Darby's Warrior Support is where you go. And Sean, thank you once again. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks. You too, Tony. Rangers lead the way. All the way, brother. We hope you enjoyed a Morley podcast with Tony May, and we appreciate your viewership. If you'd like to hear more from Tony or one of his guests, you can view or listen to past episodes at TonyMay.Podbean.com. Until next time, be a community builder for America.